Welcome to Who Are You? The Life Lessons of Sports, episode 98. Welcome to Who Are You? The Life Lessons of Sports with your host, Rob Elwood. Join us as we open the door and take an unforgettable journey to unlock the full power of sports on and off the field. Listen to personal stories and reflections from incredible leaders who are sure to move and inspire you. So listen and enjoy another episode of Who Are You? The Life Lessons of Sports. So moving on. George Bernard Shaw was noted for many quotes in his life, but one of my favorites is about communication. He said, communication, the single biggest problem, is the illusion that it has already taken place. Can you please share a moment from your professional career where you either are on the providing or receiving end of miscommunication? Oh, about the biggest problem that exists today in the world is a lack of communication. Yep. <laughs> I, I mean, and then, and then the thing is that people hear... They, they, they hear what they want to hear. You may be saying something, but they, they don't hear it the same way that you're saying it necessarily. I mean, it's really, that's the biggest problem. The communication between, you know, parents and children and the coach and players, uh, you know, boss and, and workers. I mean, you know, it's, it's everything, you know, relationships personally. I mean, it, it just happens. You have to communicate and talk and make sure that, people truly understand what it is that you're saying so that they don't take it in a way that becomes negative. And sometimes things are going to be said that you don't like. My biggest problem in life is that people will ask me questions and, and I've been vilified for doing everything. Cause I'm like, my wife says, honey, I love the fact that you're so honest, but you're brutally honest. We got to find a way to take the brutality out of your honesty. And, and she's probably right. And, you know, but that's the thing. I feel like Jack looks in the movie. You can't handle the truth. <laughs> I mean, and most people really can't handle the truth. And the problem is people ask a question. And then if you don't answer it the way they want you to answer it, they get mad at you. I mean, if you ask someone a question, you better be prepared for whatever the answer is and accept it because the person is entitled to their opinion. You just ask their opinion about something. And they're entitled to their opinion. If you don't agree with it, well, you know, so maybe you get a discussion. You try to see if you can convince them otherwise. But, hey, they're entitled to that opinion. You can't get mad at them. And that happens all the time. It really and truly does happen all the time. So, yeah, I mean, you know, Shaw is correct. I mean, you know, communication is such a vital part of what goes on in the world today. And there's such a lack of it. It's just it's astonishing. And, again, people say something. But you're hearing something, but that's not what they really said, because you already have a preconceived in your idea about what you want that to be. And so you take it out of context. And, and I mean, I've had that happen to me at times. You know, I've said something and, and said, no, that's not what I meant. You didn't listen to it or you only heard the first part of it. The second part of it changes the whole context of it. Can you remember a specific story? Well, yeah. Well, no, it wasn't a miscommunication. It's because this guy didn't want to listen. He did what he wanted to do. Writers have the propensity to do that. I was a writer in college. Right. So the guy says, Rick, what do you think when you hear the crowd out there, you know, yelling, want you to shoot the ball and everything? I said, yeah, I hear the crowd. I said, but, you know, and I'm going to look to shoot the ball when I get it, but only if I don't have a teammate in a better position. So he writes the story. Rick Barry, I hear the crowd yell, shoot, so I shoot. He left the second part out. Yeah. That changed everything. It changed the whole thing about the fact that, hey, yeah, I'm an aggressive player who looks to do it, but I'm a team player. He made it seem like, yeah, well, if somebody's yelling, I'm going to shoot the ball. And, and I told him, I said, you know what, I'm not talking to you anymore because you obviously didn't really, you, you, you only heard what you wanted to hear. And you put actually put a half quote in there and the half quote 
made it totally different, changed the whole context of it, Yeah, the whole meaning of it. Yeah, so oftentimes it happens in the media. So <laughs> can't really trust the media. That's why you like radio, see, because you have the whole thing here. Unless, of course, you can go back and edit some of this stuff out. You know? Oh, I wouldn't touch it, Rick. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, uh, you're, you're a lot stronger and bigger than I am still, so I'm not touching this, uh, this interview. And it's such a great raw one, and I love you for the fact that it's coming across so real and brutally honest, as, as your wife would say. Uh, the to-do list, Rick. You're doing so many things these days. You're involved in so much. You have children around the country. You have a young man who's playing basketball. You're involved in all these products. How do you keep everything organized? Yeah, call my wife and she'll get you organized. <laughs> my wife is the most organized person in the world. I'm probably more organized now than I've ever been in my entire life. Uh, she's pretty amazing in that regard. And she really is the one responsible for me being able to, to deal and, and juggle all these various different things because that's just the way that she was. I mean, there wasn't, she ran all the women's basketball programs for the United States for 12 years. And at times it was, she would have seven different, or you know, sometimes I think she had six or seven one time between junior Olympics, Olympic teams. Uh, I mean, it, it's just all these different teams having to go places and having to coordinate all of this stuff and get all of the travel and all of the teams and all of the coaches and the training. And it, it was just, it was, it was unbelievable. It was overwhelming to me, but she handled it like it was really nothing. And she's incredibly organized and helped me a great deal as far as being organized. And you just need to, you know, keep a record of what it is that you do. I started doing things. I have my files for the various things I'm involved with. I love the, the new phones are the greatest thing ever because I have my calendars. I can remind myself of making sure that I do this, put it down, just like, you know, for you doing this interview, I had it on my phone. I'd remind myself the day before so I don't do anything stupid to, you know, screw up the next day. I have a reminder before the, the actual interview was going to take place. And then you can remind about people's birthdays and appointments. And I mean, it's, it, I mean, today's communication, the electronic world and all what's going on in technology is just fascinating. So that's kind of how, how I'm able to go ahead and do it. Great answer. Like any great team on or off the court, it's the wherewithal and having that candid understanding that one needs to surround him or herself with those who do not simply match your talents, but instead complement the talents in a way that allows you to focus on what you are great at. And the other members of the team, in your instance, it's your wife, who have the ability to match their greatest strength with one of your weaknesses. I know this all sounds cliche, but we oftentimes forget, Rick, that simple notion and want to put together a team comprised with people like ourselves. And of course, yeah, that sounds fun and is at times, but it's not going to be a wise choice if your ultimate desire is to have a, quote, winning team again. And that could take place at home, work or on the playing field. Oh, yeah. You know what you got to be? It's like Clint Eastwood said in the movie, you know, Dirty Harry, a man has to know his limitations. <laughs> and, and it's true in sports and everything. I really, I, I love stuff like that because it is true. You have to be honest with yourself. One thing I did when I coached in the minor leagues that I never had done for me by any, any other coach before, I would ask my players, I want you to give me an evaluation of your talents, your strengths and weaknesses offensively and defensively, and then I want you to give me two plays, at least two plays, that you've either had run for you sometime in your career or that you wish had been run for you. And it's interesting. The reason I did it is, is two reasons. Number one, as far as the evaluation is concerned, I know what they can, can and can't do. I want to see if they're being honest with themselves. Are they willing to write down and actually be honest and tell me what they can and can't do? So that tells you a little something about the player. The other one is, is that by them getting a play for them, they're going to show me where on the court 
do they have the most confidence in their ability to score? So if I really like the play, I'll, I'll use it. If I didn't particularly like it, now I know where he wants to get it on the floor. Do I have something to put the ball in his hands in that place? Because I don't want to run a play to get him out 20 feet from the basket. If he shows me two plays where he wants it on the low right block. Mm-hmm. So now as a coach, the responsibility of a coach on offense is to utilize his personnel in the most effective way possible. And the only way you can do that is to know your personnel's strengths and weaknesses and then utilize it properly. Mm-hmm. Sounds simple and sounds it like is, common sense. Thing, it, is, it is simple, yeah. but it doesn't happen. <laughs> no, I know. That's the thing about it. It's so freaking simple. I mean, why do you see some guys like, I always remember one guy in particular is, and, and who, Dale Ellis, who played with the Dallas Mavericks. So Dale Ellis plays with the Mavericks, isn't doing them much. He winds up getting traded and goes to Seattle. And all of a sudden, he's an all-star player. He's leading the league in three-point shooting. It's a, why? Because he wasn't used effectively when he played in Dallas. So he went to a team where the coach was smart enough to let him do the things that he's capable of doing, and the guy excelled. Yeah. It happens so frequently. You're right. We wonder sometimes why players go off on other teams or coaches even go off on other teams and all of a sudden they're winning. Well, well, because coaches have a lot of coaches have their philosophy about how the game should be played and they force the players to play the way they want them to play on offense. Your offense has to be totally predicated and dictated on the skills of your players. You must put in an offense that use that uses those skills in the most effective manner. And if a coach is so stuck on his system, that's not going to happen. Unless he drafts players who fit that system perfectly. You can get away with doing that. If you're fortunate enough to have the ability to have people smart in the draft to fill those gaps and have somebody that you pick that has those skills that you want him to have to play in your system. But that's why I'm not a big thing on system coaching. I'm just saying, Hey, you're going to draft a guy who's an unbelievable player. You draft him and use his skills effectively. I love that term, system coaching. It's one that Who Are You Nation can easily remember. And again, this is applicable on or off the court. And it's a great example of how sports and statements, stories, like the ones you are and have been sharing with us today. But system coaching, as opposed to what I will term team coaching, is not the common approach to being successful. Rick, if we look at great leaders, great mentors, coaches, managers, CEOs, the list goes on. But they have a common trait in the end, and that is that they all have the ability to understand the individuals on the team and meld the core values of that team with each individual person's rhythm. It sounds as though we both agree that having this approach is a much more successful strategy than simply saying, I'm in charge, it's my program or my business, and that that it's the way every single person is going to do it. No, it's not going to work. It's not the way every single person is going to do it, at least if you want success in the end. So it's a great point, Rick, and one that I truly wish could easily be translated or taught to all coaches, especially those coaching sports. I know. They need a, they need a, they need a new book with the basketball for dummies or something. They need to come up <laughs> I know who's going to author it. I already have my first pick. Heading into our timeout and then our overtime sessions, Rick, uh, that will conclude our show. So in our timeout sessions, as you know, uh, coaches call timeouts, especially in basketball, to either formulate a plan or stop momentum. I'm going to use the stop momentum and use that as in really slowing down momentum in life for a second and using your own personal timeout. Is there 
story you could share with us where you took a personal time out when you were playing, before you were playing, now, in your current life, and you were able to take a time out and make a real-time adjustment and reverse the situation? Well, I've had that happen, certainly, you know, when it comes to situations with, you know, with relationships, you have to evaluate where things are, Mm -hmm. make a decision as to um, what you're going to do about it. Um, Is it something worth salvaging? Is it worth, again, putting your best effort forth? And I've had to do that uh, in my life, and and some of it is painful, hurtful, sad. But a lot of times in life, you have to make decisions that are difficult, and you have to analyze them in, in a manner that makes you feel good about the decision that you come up with, and then when you make a decision, you have to follow through with it and try to make the best of sometimes very difficult decisions. And so everybody's life's a little bit different. Um, you know, I've had to go through that in, in my personal life. It was, wasn't always easy. Uh, very, very difficult. I remember you know, some of the saddest moments of my life you know, having to do that uh, when I had to go and be separated from my children. But you, you make the best of it and try to do all that you can. And uh, something you have continually said throughout this interview. So I appreciate you sharing that with us, Rick. We're going to head into overtime. And in overtime, I like to have a lot of fun, uh, just like overtime. Little surprises here and there. Knowing you, I don't think I can surprise you, but I'm, I'm anticipating some fascinating and entertaining answers. My first question for you, you mentioned a shoe that you're working on right now and one that you wish you had had and one that can prevent ankle sprains and such. Can you explain a little bit more if you're, if we're privileged to hear that information right now, if it's not some secret locked up into a cabinet about what the shoe is and how we can find it? Well, we're trying to get it out there. E-K-T-I-O, E-K-T-I-O.com. Or you can go to my website where you can learn about my fishing trips. And there's a link on there to it as well. E-K-T-I-O.com. My website's RickBerry24.com. All small letters, RickBerry24.com. When I was introduced to the shoe, I had him send me a pair so I could try them. And when I tried them, I said, wow, this is pretty good. It's not uncomfortable. It's pretty decent. And then... I had my son when he was in high school, Canyon, you know, wear the shoe and the fact that he wore it without complaining about it and was able to eliminate his ankle braces. I felt really good about it because he's so picky about things. Mm -hmm. And then they came out with a new model, the new breakaway model, which is even better, but it has straps that are built into the shoe. It has patented technology and it's been proven that these shoes actually have prevented Ankle, a lot of ankle sprains. I mean, nothing's guaranteed 100%, but the reviews that we've gotten from people who have worn them, um, the independent reviews of people who have tested the shoe are off the charts. And it's just very difficult to try to find shelf space and do things in different places because the big boys are out there trying to bury us. Yeah. And I don't understand why one of them would just come along and just, you know, Dr. Katz, who, who created this and just buy the rights to the shoe and work a deal out with him and know that they're going to have the best shoe ever in the history of the game. There's never been a shoe that actually can help prevent ankle sprains with patented technology. And it helps prevent the most prevalent injury that occurs in the sport today, which is an ankle sprain. And I've suffered through that throughout my career. And my heavens, if I could wear a shoe that help can help me prevent only one time to sprain my ankle to me, it's worth it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I watched Steph Curry, when I was at the Warriors playoff game last year and, and, and uh, the owner of the team, Joe Lacob was nice enough to invite me. So I was sitting in him right there at courtside and watched him just come stop and watch his shoe roll, his foot roll over and he, and he, and he tweaked his ankle. Well, that 
could never have happened with the design of this shoe. That's not going to happen. It can't, the way the shoe is designed. So I just tell people, if you're serious about the game and you really want to wear something that can help you to prevent an ankle sprain, this is the shoe you have to be wearing, especially the, as you get a little bit older and you're playing, it's much easier. Trust me on this. I know it. When you get older, it's easier to get hurt. and It takes forever to heal. So and all these guys are out there playing in their, in their little rec leagues and things of that nature. They probably need this as much or more than anybody else. But, you know, we're working at it. We're slowly making progress. I do know that eventually some one of the shoe companies can finally come to the realization, hey, you know what, we better go buy this company. And they probably will. And they'll pay a lot more money for it at that time, which is, you know, fine with me. But I just <laughs> want to see it get out there because if, I want people to, to know that, hey, there's something out there better than what's out there. I mean, yeah, you can – and it's reasonably priced. I mean, people are paying over $200 for a shoe. And because why? It's stylish. It looks nice. Well, so what? I mean, you're playing the game. You're not playing the game to look stylish. You're playing the game to hopefully play the game and not get hurt. Well, I can't wait to see this shoe uh, come out into the market. Well, it's out there now. I mean, we're getting we're getting into some different locations, but EKTIO is where you can find out about it and read all about it, and it kind of speaks for itself. There you go. Well, I'll make sure we have that next to our notes for the show here, as well as the fishing trips, which I may have to take you up on, uh, Rick. How about people who, who, who don't know how to fish? You take them as well? Oh, yeah. Well, here's the deal. They, they, they would go to probably to the Boardwalk Lodge, uh, which is up uh, on Prince of Wales Island outside of Ketchikan. Because they supply everything for you. If you want to go fly fishing, you just wear freshwater fishing. You only have to bring, get a Gore-Tex jacket and a pair of you know fleece or something to keep you warm under the waders. But they supply the boots, the waders, the rods, the reels, all of the tackle. I mean, and they have that for salt water as well. So even if you're not a dye-in-the-wool you know fisherman and you don't have all the equipment and stuff, you don't even need it to go there. But it really would be a trip of a lifetime. It's so spectacular. Um, you know, you get you get to get out to the the, the true wilderness. Uh, the fly fishing trip out the Rainbow River Lodge is the one that's just insane. I mean, you're out there fishing, and the bears are fishing 20 feet away from you, and it's it, it's so surreal, yeah. so beautiful. Uh, and you can see a lot of the pictures that are there on the site for the different trips. And then the one to Mexico is really cool because that's really amazing fishing in the Sea of Cortez. And my friend's little mini resort is gorgeous. And wow. they have a cook, and you come in, and he cooks, and he puts, and makes salsa, and he makes uh, he makes uh, some salsa and some some guacamole for you, and cook up some of the fish that you have. And it's just it's it's really cool. Wow. So yeah, the site the site explains it all. But yeah, it, it's not inexpensive to do it. The Mexico trip's probably less the least expensive one, but the other trips, if you can afford to do it, it's worth every single penny, and it'd be a memorable opportunity. But you have to do it with two people because up there they only have um, you know rooms with two people in a room. Gotcha, gotcha. And are you often on these trips? Well, no, I go on the trips. I host every them. single one. Well, if they, if they can't go when I have the days, you yeah. know, and go, you know, they could still go up there and I'll put them in touch with the owner and, gotcha. you know, they'll have a chance to go. But I do have trips that I go. Clifford Ray and I are going and hosting a trip to the Rainbow River Lodge in August. And in July, Raymond Floyd, the Hall of Fame golfer, and I are hosting a trip up to Rainbow River, uh, that is Boardwalk Lodge in August and in July. And the July, Raymond and I are hosting a trip to go to Rainbow River Lodge for the fly fishing adventure, which is just, you know, unbelievable. Well, sounds like a lot of fun. You're giving me the travel bug as we speak here. And then you mentioned the word salsa, and I'm starting to get hungry, Rick. So oh, yeah, my friend in Mexico, you stop off in Cabo and everything. He's got the, I don't know if you've ever been down there, the Giggling Marlin. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. The Giggly Mart. He built that by hand back in the nineties. And, uh, and that's his place down there. And it's, in fact, actually he sent me a picture. Roger Clemens was just in there the other day. The day. Uh, <laughs> and so it's a pretty popular place and food is just unbelievable. They have, they make the guacamole right there at your table for you. It's oh, insane. So good. That sounds delicious. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. You shot free throws as does your son. You mentioned underhand. Is that correct? Oh yeah. And that was why dad got me to do that. He, he, he was a semi-pro player and coach and he's the one that, Said, son, I think you can shoot a higher percentage, and I didn't want to do it. Because back then, that's the way girls shot. And I said, I can't shoot that way. Everybody's going to make fun of me. It's a sissy shot. And he said, son, I always remember, they can't make fun of you if you're making them. <laughs> and he was so true. And so I actually did it just to get him off my back because he was driving me nuts. I really did not want to do it. <laughs> and so when I tried it, though, again, what? Give your best effort, right? Yeah. So I went and I didn't monkey around. I tried it. I really listened and I gave him my best effort. I said, wow, this is pretty good. So I worked on it all that summer, made the switch the next year. I don't remember it was before my junior or senior year in high school. And I shot over 80% for the first time and I was sold on it. And then I wish I had been smart enough to make a little refinement to what he taught me. I did it late in my career. Like they, people say, oh, Rick, you know, he was a 90% free throw shooter. Well, actually I was better than that. Because if I had shot my entire career the way I had shot my last six years after I made the refinement, I would have been much higher. In fact, my last six years, I averaged over 92% and actually got as high as 94.7. And I only missed nine free throws the entire season. That's why last year I laughed when Dwight Howard in one game missed more free throws in one game than I missed in the entire season. Jeez. And I'll brag about that because it's the only part of the game of basketball where you can be selfish and help your team. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. So what is the technique? Why is that technique better, do you believe, than over? Well, because it's, well, first of all, do you walk around with your hands up over your shoulders no. to, sh to shoot a ball? That's not a natural position. The shooting position is not a natural position. When I shoot my underhanded free throw, where are my arms? Hanging down in what? A total natural position. And then when you shoot it up there, because of the way it goes in the arc and everything, it's even somebody who's done some stuff, somebody who's into physics or whatever, and they talk about how that's the most efficient way to shoot it. They really believe all of that, all these physicists and stuff. And so I, the shot is so soft when yeah. it goes up there. I mean, it really is just a soft shot, and it just kind of dies up there, and it's, it's just a shot you can control a lot easier. I can see that. A little backspin goes into it as well? Yeah, no, when I go, I just roll my hands, and there's definitely a little backspin, and you get the little feel, and it just goes up there, and it dies. And then if I'm shooting it properly, though, you're not supposed to hit the rim. I don't hit the rim. In fact, I, it was funny during my, my, my uh, pro career. The guys on the team were so crazy. I, I'd say, okay, guys, let's play for lunch, and we have those stupid shoot-arounds. The only good thing about the shoot-arounds is it helped me get a lot of free lunches <laughs> because I would, I would do the free throws at the end, and I'd say, and I'd say to the guys, I'd say, okay, guys, do you want to have a contest, you know, free throws? I said, I'll spot you five, and we'll shoot, okay? And, and the winner, you know, gets lunch. you got to buy your lunch. And so I can honestly say that the entire season I never lost. And, uh, and so I had a lot of free lunches. In fact, I even got to the point with some of the guys who were really bad. I said, I'll tell you what I'll do for you. I'll give you the first five. You shoot the next five, and then I'll shoot mine. And if mine touches the rim, mine don't count. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Pressure's on for lunch no 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 okay there you go you just opened up another door <laughs> there's no such thing as pressure in the real world uh, talk to me okay first of all you control it all right in life you're going to be called upon to perform sometimes in extremely critical situations right mm -hmm. you're going to have a lot of demands on you a lot of expectations 
That's not pressure. If you have confidence in your ability to do what it is you trained yourself to do. I can honestly say that in my basketball career, I never in my life felt pressure. Why? Because I believed in myself. I believed that I was going to be successful in everything that I did on the basketball court. I believed that I was going to make the last shot to win the game. Did I always do it? Heck no. But I believed that I was. Mm -hmm. So I never felt pressure. Also, I was going out to do something that I had trained my whole life to be able to do and do well. If I could have had every game that I played in in my lifetime come down to the last five seconds with the ball in my hand and the game on the line, I would have thought I died and went to heaven. <laughs> because that's the chance to be the hero. Yeah. I always wanted to be the hero. And I knew and believed in myself that I was either going to get a shot off or I was going to get the ball to a teammate with a better opportunity to help win that basketball game. And I believe that sincerely, wholeheartedly, 100%. So when you have that attitude and you have that confidence, pressure never exists. Actually, we had a guest recently, Matt Stover, 20 years in the NFL as a kicker. And uh, when we had him on as a guest, he, he spoke a lot about the difference between being nervous and being anxious. And he said, nervous is not a part of my game. Anxious to get out there and go do something that I'm prepared for, that was Thank part you. of my game. He didn't feel pressure, obviously. Yeah. He was put into a critical situation, but it wasn't a pressure. It's a situation where pressure can become a factor yep. if indeed you lack confidence in yourself to do what it is you're being asked to do. Then that's pressure. Now, I can understand saying this is really a pressure situation. I can say this is a this is a it should be stated this is a situation where pressure can become a factor if that individual lacks confidence in himself in himself. Yep. yep. That's the way it should be stated. I'm so tired of hearing pressure this, pressure that, pressure that. That's crazy. That really isn't the case. And I'm saying this because I've experienced, I've been through it. I know, and I experienced what pressure was. Yeah. I experienced in the in the in the the competition that used to have the superstars competition that they had years ago on TV. And I felt pressure for the first time in my life athletically, and I hated it, and I vowed I'd never let it happen again. I was doing basketball commentary at the time, and the NBA Finals were going on, and I had participated in the retired division of stuff, and I qualified to go to the finals for everybody, okay? So I can only do Saturday, and Saturday had six events and four events on Sunday, and you had to do six of the ten. So I had to do events on Saturday that I didn't necessarily want to do, but I had no choice because I had to leave. So they come up to me. The last event is golf, 125-yard shot. And the producer comes up to me and he said, Rick, I just want you to know, you know, where are you going to be tomorrow? We, gotta, you know, we may have to get a hold of you. I said, why? He says, well, I, we know you're a, good, you're a good golfer and stuff, and if you win this event, the worst that's going to happen is you're going to tie for first place. Oh, I said, what? They said, yeah. So all of a sudden, it changed, didn't it? That changed my going to hit a golf ball yeah. from just going to hit a golf ball to all of a sudden – the importance. <laughs> it became a critical thing. Yeah. All right. Well, I had stopped playing golf because I had gotten so frustrated with it and was playing a lot of tennis. And so I had hit a few balls and doing something. I did not have confidence in my golf. So now when I got up there to have to hit the three balls that I got, 125 yard shot over some water, a nothing shot. I mean, a simple, hardly, I mean, probably a 50, probably for me, a 52 degree wedge shot, or maybe a really, really, really easy wedge. I, for the first time in my life, felt pressure. I was so, not anxious, like he said, I was nervous. I was so nervous. I hated the feeling. I swung so fast. I shanked the first one. 
put a ball down, probably swung, swung as faster, maybe even faster, shanked the second one. Now I wanted to crawl under a rock and hide. <laughs> so I tried to get my composure, took some deep breaths, slowed it down, took a much better swing, hit just the hair behind it, fat, short in the water. I embarrassed myself like I'd never embarrassed myself before in athletics because these guys that were there, I know that if I had gone out and played golf with them every day, I probably could make a living because they couldn't beat me. I was a better golfer than they were. But I hadn't played golf. I didn't have confidence. And so for the first time in my life, I truly understood what it was to feel pressure. And it's a horrible feeling. I vowed never to let it happen again. And that's why I speak so adamantly about my thoughts on this yeah. word pressure. Yeah. No, I'm glad you did. I am curious here, as it, it meant a lot to me growing up, where my father used to say, son, what, what age are you going to be when you're going to be able to beat me in a game of basketball, whether it was one-on-one, a game of horse, whatever it may be. And it sort of was the running family joke. And I, I swear to this day, I still haven't beaten him, Rick. And he's in his 70s. You had four professional basketball players, one playing in college. When was that moment, or has it happened, that one of your sons could take you on and, and beat you in a game of horse? Well, first of all, I never put myself in a situation to ever allow that to occur as far as as far as far wanting and not to do it. What do I have to prove by playing against my sons as to whether they could beat me or not? Good point. And I, you know, nothing to prove by doing that. You know, what do I want to try to do? Show them I'm better than they are? No. I, so my boys always played with me when I had a chance. I would have them on my team when I was doing my camps, if they were at the camps with me. Uh, I, I never played against them. The closest I ever came to it was when my son Brent was at the showcase for the high school uh, college seniors before the NBA draft. It was down in Phoenix. And I was out in the court there with them, and nobody had been out there. They were out there early. So he said, Dad, let's play some horse. I said, okay, let's go. So we played. He won two games. I won two games. I said, okay, that's it. I'm done. He said, no, 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 best of five, best of five. I said, no, I'm done. He said, no, come on, best of five. I said, no, I'm not going to play anymore. And he said, well, why not? I said, because now you're never going to know if you were ever good enough to beat me. Well said. All right, I hand you a baseball bat. You're now playing professional baseball. You're walking up to the plate, Rick. And what is playing over the loudspeaker? What song is playing as you take the plate? Uh, probably the Rocky theme. Ah. I'm coming up there. I'm, 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 I'm coming up there with bases loaded. We're down three, and we have two outs. Yep. That's the yep. situation I want. I love it. I love it. <laughs> Rocky theme goes right into my next question, which is favorite sports movie, Rick? Uh, hmm. Hmm, I have to think about that one now for all the different sports movies. Uh, well, I loved Hoosiers. That was pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, trying to think of uh, other ones that I really liked a lot. Uh, well, I liked Bull Dorham. That was just fun. Yeah. That was, uh, that was pretty cool. Definitely. Good. Do two classic movies right there. Rick, favorite book or a book you've read recently you could recommend to Who Are You Nation? I like beating up the bad guys and I don't like bad people and nasty people. So, and I'm so sad because the author just died recently. He was only in his forties, Vince Flynn. And he had a character named Mitch Rapp um, that I absolutely love, a special forces kind of guy. And they're just amazing books. So if you like that kind of stuff, I highly recommend that you read it from the start. He actually wrote a book later on called The American American Assassin that was actually the the story of how Mitch got started. You really should read that one first. Um, 
and then go through the series. It's just incredible stuff, great characters. Uh, and if you like that kind of, of writing, he was awesome. And I, I'm so sad that, uh, that he's no longer around, Vince Flynn. But there's also another series of books that I love a lot. The great character. I like really characters that I can get into. And it's the same situation with, you know, the bad guys and all that stuff. Harry Bosch. Uh, not, not all of the books are there, but the majority of them are. And it's Michael Connolly. And I actually know Michael personally because uh, he's married to a friend of my wife and have spent time with Michael. And I love his books. Uh, Michael Conley has just got a lot of absolutely great books. He actually did, Clint Eastwood did one of the ones, a movie of one that didn't have the Harry Bosch character in it. But I'm really hoping that they, and I think they're in some talks about possibly doing some movies and getting this Harry Bosch character out there. I think it'd be very successful, but, uh, you know, fun, fun books. I like to read that kind of stuff. I'm, uh, I'm into being entertained. I don't, and it's when it comes to movies, I don't want to go to a movie to get a message. I get enough messages every day in life. Right. I want to go to the movies to be entertained. And and if I was a critic, my thing is, would I spend the money again to go see that movie after it was over? I'm not going to talk about whether the cinematography was great or all of the, just did I have a good time? Did I enjoy the movie? That's all. I, that's all that matters to me. I want to be entertained. And, and I especially the same way, I lo always love space stuff, so I loved all the Star Wars and things like that. I used to write stories when I was a kid about space. And I loved the Harry Potter stuff. I used to re I read that to my kids, and then I'd go into the movies. I love watching the Harry Potter things. And, and I love... And I love to you know beat up the bad guys and have a good time and be entertained. That's that's kind of my my thing. Definitely, you're the host of this show, Rick. Who is the first person you invite on, and why? For the life lessons of sports. Let me see. That would be that's an interesting question. I've never been asked that one before. <laughs> uh, I, I've had a lot of great guests on when I was a radio show host myself. I mean, some really incredibly good guests. Uh, but as far as the life lessons of sports. I, I really I can't come up with an answer at the top of my head because I'd have to give some serious thought to that because I, I again I take things like that very seriously right. and I, I don't want to you know throw out a name there and and wind up missing somebody else that I that I could throw out there I mean but some of the people that are just great you know like I love Lou Carnesecca you know my wife's in the background throwing the name out to me I I love playing for Lou I love the way he did things I loved him because he didn't have a big ego he was a coach who actually came in and asked the opinions of the players that he had since he didn't know the pro game and I respected that and loved him a lot um life lessons of sports uh, there's probably a lot of people that I would I would want to have on the show, I'd probably do a series. I, I don't think I could pick one, yeah. to be honest with you. Yeah. I would, I would have to do a series of people for various reasons when I start thinking about this more intently, uh, because there's so many different people I've been around. I've had the good fortune of meeting so many people over my lifetime who have just been incredible athletes. You know, guys like you know Brooke Rob, Brooks Robinson. I had, I actually had Sandy Koufax come on my show. Sandy doesn't do interviews, right. and Sandy came on my show for an hour. Wow. Uh, Willie Mays, my hero. I had Willie Mays on for my entire show the first time I did it. I had Barry Bonds on wow. for three hours. Oh, jeez. After his death threat, and he broke the home run record in talking about I me. Mean, but, uh, yeah, I just, uh, there's a lot of people I would bring on for various reasons. Guys like Dave Winfield, Reggie Jackson, uh, and, I, and I've met, again, so many different people in so many walks like Joe Namath, you know, Joe Montana. Uh, you know, John Elway. I mean, I'd love Peyton Manning. I'd love to talk to Peyton Manning. I'd love Peyton Manning. Tiger Woods, another one I'd love to have on to talk to. I will list these in our show notes. And if you think of more, you have my email address and I'll throw them up there. But uh, for sure. Oh, Gary Player. Well, I know these guys. Jack Nicholas, Gary Player, Arnold Palmer, the big three of golf. I mean, those are 
you know, those are all guys that I, that I know personally and that I used to do the PGA tour and I've had some just incredibly entertaining conversations. Jim Brown from football. God, I used to play tennis with Jim and some of the conversations that we had, I said, Oh my God, we should be, I should, this should, we should be filming this. I mean, seriously. I mean, I mean, some of the conversations I had with these incredible athletes have just been so enlightening and so much fun. It's always something that I had talked about trying to do is actually to have, you know, do shows like that. And that's why I try to get really top guests when I was doing my own radio show and get people of that stature on because it's so interesting to talk to them and some of the things you can get into just like you're doing here. And I admire what you're doing. I think this is a great concept that you have. Thank you, sir. And you cover and you really do get into covering things that are really fun to talk about and, and aren't the normal topics of conversation that you necessarily have when you do a quick sports talk interview and something. So, and you do a very good job at it too. I will say that. Oh, well, thank you, Rick. I greatly appreciate that. And I know lunch is waiting for you and you've been so, so grateful with your time. And I do appreciate it. There is two more questions for you. One's very simple and one that either your wife or yourself or your family, a foundation or charity you support that you'd like to announce to who are you nation so we can find out more about. American Friends of Migdal Orr. I am on the board. It's a Jewish charity. I'm not Jewish. I joke with my Jewish friends telling me I used to be Barrowitz, but I changed it to Barry. <laughs> uh, and, and that's one that I, um, that I try to do uh, as much as I can for. There are a number of other charities I try to help out, but, but I'm not on the board. Uh, this one I'm, I'm probably more immersed in and try to do as much as I can to help them. Yeah, Migdal Orr is a wonderful organization, and I truly encourage all of our listeners at Who Are You Nation to go onto the show notes after this episode and check out what that foundation does and all that they achieve. So, Rick, it's been an honor and a privilege to speak with you today. I know our listeners are already well aware, but they can check out our website, listen to this interview again, and find the links to everything we've spoken about, the book, the resources, your motivational quote, contact information, and the foundation you support. So, Rick, I want to congratulate you. You've officially been inducted into a new Hall of Fame, which is Who Are You Nation, and I'm going to officially here welcome you to the team. Now, I do want to pull the curtain back for one second, as I do with all of my guests, and ask you a question that is very, very meaningful to you, something that has not come up during this interview. And if we were to sit down and say, Rick, Tell us about a story, about a person, about a situation that you've been in that is unforgettable, has meant a lot to you in your life, and one that you would like to share with us today to open up the door to Who Are You? I've met a lot of really famous people in my lifetime, in all walks of life. I mean, I'm talking, you know, Frank Sinatra, Dean Martin, Jerry Lewis. Um, I mean, just go on, all these different entertainers, Clint Eastwood, I mean, that I've met, known, and, and sports personalities, uh, politicians. I mean, you know, Ronald Reagan, I knew, I mean, and, and just pretty amazing people. Um, but no one has had the impact on me that I had when I met Rabbi Grossman in Israel, when I went with my wife and son on a trip over there to help raise some money for his cause, which is Migdal Or. Who are you nation? Our guest is ready to go inside the locker room. Are you? Gain exclusive access to the story as well as those from all of our guests. Visit whoareyousports.com where there is a page dedicated especially for all of our listeners at Who Are You Nation. Until next time, please remember both in sports and in life that it's not all about the scoreboard so much as it is about our dedication to becoming a better teammate 
healthier person and adopting an efforts over results mindset.